What's up, everybody? I'm JJ John J. Stramski. And I'm Jason Goff. And if you haven't heard, The Ringer has gone local. I'm bringing the fire. I'm bringing the rain from the Big Apple with my show, New York, New York. And I'm repping Chi-Town with my new show, The Full Go on All Things Chicago. We've got episodes three nights a week with all the reaction to the local teams and guests. Plus bonus episodes around all the big games and storylines. So whether you're uptown, downtown, in the burbs, or a transplant. Make sure you follow New York, New York, and The Full Go on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. Great Friday podcast for you. Julian Edelman, who's going to join us and talk about Tom's return to New England. Brock Heward, college football landscape, national stuff. Really good. A little life advice and an open on everyone hating everything during an NFL game. It's the Ryan Rosillo podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA final starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming, so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and older. 18 plus in DC and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler or visit rg help.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. $5 doesn't get you what it used to get you. I asked for change the other day. The guy gave me back four. Introducing Arby's new two for $5 chicken wraps. In your choice of ranch, barbecue, honey mustard, and a bonus flavor called Incredible Value. Ever heard of it? You can't taste it, but boy, is it sweet. Arby's two for $5 chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. I think the tone of, of this open today is going to be a little different. I don't have a ton of notes here. Um, this is just something Saruti and I have kicked around now for a while. So there, there's not some big opening rant here. And it feels a bit like a zag, but I don't know. If you know one thing about me, it's that I actually am not convinced of that many things like absolutely i think there are arguments that i could have with somebody where i could think they have a valid point i think that's a bigger problem that we all have is that we never think the opposition has one good point um on a plenty plenty of topics right so there are very few times i will say hey this is absolutely the way it is and it is undeniable like this is the only way we can see this story and football twitter and again I'm, i'm a little hesitant but i'm doing it anyway um because it sounds like I'm just calling out everybody in my industry. But again, you also know me well enough that I don't care um, to because I just think a lot of times people kind of congratulate each other. And I'm like, yeah, I know you guys don't even like each other. So I'm just not going to play that game. But NFL Twitter is is amazing because like NBA Twitter might still be the worst. And it's worst for its own reasons. But NFL Twitter and Saruti asked a question last night. It's like, who do you guys think is good at coaching? In the NFL, because the Thursday nighter, as we touched on this week, as far as the hate list of the coaches that no one ever likes, no matter what, Urban Myers at the top of the list, um, Zach Taylor's in the mix because people just resent the fact that he got the job. And I'm not even telling you that you're wrong for him getting this gig. But was anybody ever going to say, hey, it looks like the offense is doing some things now with Cincinnati. Like, it looks pretty good. Like, that's, you're not even allowed to do it. I mean, the Jags have lost 19 games in a row. That roster sucks. The team isn't any good. Urban's been there a month. 
is it okay to give it a year? I've already said this this week, but it's astonishing to me that it's like, oh, he sucks. This guy sucks. And again, think of it this way, too. We are, for the most part, social media is on the same page about how terrible Urban Meyer is and how terrible every play caller is. We don't get to see the way they see the game. We're convinced we're right when we don't even have the right angle on any of this stuff. We don't know what the secondary's responsibilities are. We don't know what the blocking assignments are. We generally don't know what the quarterback's reads are. There may not be a topic in this country that we are more convinced they were right about when we have as little access to the actual information we need. So when the coach, and we think this is excuse-making, and at times it can be, but when the coach says after a game, hey, you know, reporter, hey, what happened? Hey, look, I got to see the film. You know why they say that? It's because they actually have to see the film. They have to see the all 22. They have to see the angle, see what the QB saw, see all these different things. And look, I'm telling you right now, I'm admitting, I don't know what the blocking assignments are. I know that when it's a quarterback on Twitter, it's usually the offensive line's fault. And when it's an offensive lineman on Twitter, it's usually the quarterback's fault. Um, when I see guys on defense that played in the NFL on Twitter, they're usually blaming somebody else too. Um, and I want to defer to them, but then sometimes I think that bias jumps in. But then we've got the guys like me who I'm telling you right now, I don't know what any of the blocking assignments are ever. Never. But I'm not going to tell you that I do either. I'm not going to because I know that I don't. I can tell which quarterbacks are good. I think I'm pretty good at that. Um, I can see somebody get burnt as a tackle, but all of us can see that. I can see somebody in the secondary get torched, but that doesn't take anybody figuring that out. Every now and then, maybe I'll feel a little educated because I'll see... Uh, I'll see a receiver over time, and I'll be like, ah, that guy doesn't really get a ton of separation anymore. I can tell if running backs can't go side to side. You know what I don't know? Is I don't know if it's a cover three from the television angle that we all have. So it kind of gets back to the points, Rudy, that it feels like there's this momentum of all of these guys suck. And I'm not telling you every NFL coach is good, but there's no way, like, I'd say 95% of it, maybe even in a higher number of us on the outside like, there's no chance we know as much about what we're watching as they do. And it doesn't matter because we, we root for who we want to root for and we root against who we want to root against and we never change our minds. And the Thursday night game was two teams that, look, the Jags aren't good. What do you think they were supposed to do? But Because if you don't like Urban, even though he's had an absurd, one of the great runs in the history of the college game, that's another thing that happens with the NFL is you get so protective about it where you're like, oh, he's failing up. Oh, not college. It's not college anymore, Urban, is it? And it's like, I don't know. How good do you think this team was going to be? And I'm not telling you he's going to be awesome. I'm just telling you I'm going to give it a little bit more time than everybody else is. And I'm not convinced that I'm right about every single thing that I watch on Sunday. And Thursday night, is just it just turns into a hate fest that all of these guys are morons. And I think NFL Twitter is gaining on NBA Twitter. So, Rudy. What, what do you mean by that, though? Because I think, I think NBA Twitter and NFL Twitter are totally different. I don't think there are many people. I mean, there are people calling out game decisions on NBA Twitter saying, hey, why'd you call a timeout here or this play call or like, you know, end of a quarter, end of a half thing. There is some of that. But it feels like all the NFL stuff is so pointed to specific decisions that we have real time reaction to. Like, right, we could see exactly what the result was. And then immediately everyone on Twitter is like, this guy's an idiot. That's a terrible play call. That's a terrible decision. But I mean, this guy's one of 32 people to have this prestigious job of being a head coach in the NFL. Like, are they that dumb? Or are we just oversimplifying how 
easier, harder it would be to be a coach in the NFL. Because I think a lot of people on Twitter are like, oh, yeah, that's an easy decision. Like, why would he do that? What an idiot. But like this guy's been coaching his entire life. And I'm, not, I'm with you. I'm not saying Urban Meyer is going to be some amazing head coach. I'm not saying Zach Taylor is an amazing coach. The, I, I'm willing to accept that there are probably a lot of guys in the league that aren't that great. But I don't know. We just constantly clown on them as like a community online. And I think it's kind of just change the perception of like do these random people who are sitting on their couch tweeting about this do they think that they'd be able to get in there and call a great game and they would do something differently like i i just i think we oversimplify how hard it is to be a head coach in the moment to have to manage egos play calling injury fits chemistry any other limitations of stuff that you're right we don't know about that we just say oh why wouldn't you do this well there's probably a reason they didn't do that right or there's a reason like you brought it up last uh what was it last pod about going for on fourth down well maybe your your offensive line is shit and you haven't been good in fourth and one like you don't have a good fourth and one package well maybe it wouldn't be good for you to go on fourth down so i, I just I, i'm i'm always amazed by how many people we think suck at their job in the NFL as from a coaching perspective that I just, I don't even know who's good anymore. Yeah. That's, that's what it would be. Like if we sat down with the guy who we thought was one of the worst play callers and sat in a room with him and he whiteboarded out some stuff, I would say more often than not, you'd go, Oh wait, <laughs> like that guy, that guy actually kind of does know what he's talking about. And the yeah, thing oh, is, is like, who yep. are we? Like how many, how many people who watch the NFL religiously I'm talking even the media. How many could go to the whiteboard and like have Gruden draw out what the defense is and then have you be like, okay, formation, and then what are your reads if the safety does this? Do 5% of the people get that right? I think they think they would um, because oh, they no, probably no, no. play It'd Madden. Be, I don't, I don't. It, you think? I, I think people, like, because you know what, like the average person maybe 20 years ago, didn't understand cover two, cover three. I mean, they understood man. Whereas I think more people understand the game from a fan perspective. I think that is true. But I think because of that, it's almost like in, you know, this is like a real world example too. Like we have so much information on our hands that I think we think oftentimes that we are smarter than we are. <laughs> like, you know, there's a reason that some of this stuff happens and you don't have all of the information to make a decision that this guy sucks at his job or this guy doesn't know how to play call or whatever. When sometimes it can be true, but I, I, I just, I don't know. Like, remember the Trent Richardson thing where like there was that massive hole and everyone's like, oh, Trent Richardson, he's an idiot. He doesn't know how to run through the hole. And you're like, I don't know. This guy, maybe maybe he has the yips. Maybe he just like forgot how to play running back and he wasn't very good in the NFL, so that's true. Or also maybe it was like a weird camera angle and we don't have all the information based on like whether or not he should have run through that hole or not. Like, I just think there are things that we don't know that we take for granted. Well, the screen grab stuff with plays in the NFL is totally unfair. Um, and the Trent one was, from what I remember, it was like w the screen grab made it way worse than what actually happened, even though, yeah, he still missed the hole. There's, there's times too where like, They'll show a guy at the back of the end zone and he looks wide open and you don't realize that the safety's already sprinting back to like get back in there. And that's not a throw that the quarterback wants to make. But if you screen grab it, you're like, no. And I guess, I don't know, maybe I'm saying I deserve more credit for telling the audience how often like, yeah, I don't know what's going on. Like the idea that I know what the coverage is when I can't even see the full 11 on television and then to be like, yeah, this coach sucks. And you're like, I don't know. I mean, look, I disagree with the fourth down call at the end of the half because I just think it's stupid to go for it on fourth and goal when you're not going to get the ball back. Like the whole point of going for it in fourth and goal is that you're going to get really good field position because their playbook's going to be limited, uh, limited because they're on their own one yard line. And you're likely going to get the ball back at like their 40. And that's when I don't have a problem. I have a problem with it when you do it last 50 seconds. But what I also don't do is be like, yep, this Urban Meyer guy. 
<laughs> doesn't quite get it on Sundays, boys. <laughs> <laughs> or like, you know, Trevor, like Trevor's a, he's a, he's a rookie quarterback. It's a bad roster. You know, I, I, I just, I don't know. I don't know. Why not, but why not go with three scores? The you want to go three scores? We, nah, that's stupid. The point is, though, that is we are I'm willing and I think you are, too, to hear from someone who is going to tell us, like, why there are like 20 coaches that don't know what the hell they're doing. I, I just I'm just more. I would like that guest. Yeah, right. I don't know who is there anyone that we could book that would have like I'm not even I don't want to be attacking. I, I would just be like, all right, let's go over a bunch of your tweets on a Sunday, because the funny thing is, is like, you know, I'm not my roster isn't stacked with NFL players, active or former, but there's enough that they'll ask me about other guys in the media sometimes. You'd be like, hey, do you see so-and-so's tweet about this? Be like, you know that they're totally wrong about what this thing was? And I was like, yeah. I go, you know, look, the one time I think I said something about the offensive line, Jeff Schwartz was just off the top rope on me, like within five. He has some sort of alert thing where there's an O-line, got non-O-line guy tweeted about O-line attack. And I was like, oh, you know, shit. But what was I going to do? Like, I still kind of thought I was right. But I was like, you know, I don't know. I, I'm not I'm not going to get to this argument. I rarely would ever go. Like, I can't believe this coach is is doing this. I don't know. Like, it's a weird deal to be like, so you're just going to sit back all day and watch games and say how every coach's decision is awful. And I'd like to have that guest on to kind of dig in and go through some of those tweets and be like, well, why were you so convinced of this? Um, but it's also look, this is this is not new play call Monday is one of the worst topics ever. Like, I do not miss local radio where it's like, cool, local team lost in the NFL. Let's blame play calling for four hours. Um, and as anybody that's hosted a talk show with calls, um, thanks for the passion. But I'm never in the car listening to somebody else's talk show with calls. I'm like, so psyched that caller called in. That was good. That was really good. Um, and, you know, the play call thing has never been, you know, this isn't new, but it's it's a really weird deal i hope that made some sense and again like i said sometimes you just you, you have to remind yourself of how few people have you know we are in this world of this is how people watch games and you peruse it and you look at it all and you're just like so everybody sucks tonight huh <laughs> so um i don't know i don't i don't i don't think we're solving anything here by adding to the conversation but it's just observation This episode is supported by State Farm. So look, a little rock hit your dude's windshield on the highway. And at first you're like, what is that? I'm like, oh, it's just a little mark. Nope. Now by the end of the ride, it's a big crack. And it had been a while. So I check out the State Farm app. I go, hey, this is what happened. And the funny thing is, is I was like, do I want to go app first or do I call old school guy? Probably should call. It's like, let's check out the app. Not only did it take a minute to get done, they set up the glass replacement. They told me the estimate ahead of time, said, you want to go ahead with it? And I was like, now I understand it's all in front of me, all done. I don't even have to talk to anybody. That's how efficient the insurance game has become. But really the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options, to protect the things you value most. File a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, just like I did. And even reach a real person when you need to talk to somebody. The app was so good, I didn't even need to do that. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. Fired up to talk to Julian Edelman, who uh, now, after a stellar career with the Pats, CBS, Viacom, Paramount Plus. Uh, let's, you know, we know where we're going with this at some point, but let's talk about you a little, man. You miss it? 
Nah, yeah, I mean, you miss the little things, the relationships, the fellas, the locker room, the night before the game, those feelings. But, like, right now I don't miss it. This is I'll miss it more when it's, like, playoff time, nut-cutting time, like, when it's one or done. And then also I still have in the back of my mind the feeling I was feeling last year where, like, it was such a grind to get through a week of practice and then go to a game that like, that's still fresh. So I'm like, I'm good right now. I'm, 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 I'm excited to have time with my family and explore the different ventures that I'm exploring and, and starting my new passions. And so I'm, I'm good, bro. Yeah. What do you have going on? Cause you, you never sleep, man. <laughs> I have a, well, I'm doing inside the NFL that's streaming on Paramount plus, which has been, a great fix for me to get my football like talk and like that little atmosphere, of you know, having Mr. Sims, Phil Sims, Brandon Marshall, JB, Ray Lewis, Michael Irvin. So like you get your locker room talk and all behind scenes stuff. You get that fix of football then. And you have to, you have to stay so engaged watching all these games to actually come up with your take. And that's when I feel most prepared is when I see every game and then I, you know, then you can talk on it instead of, just going through certain things. So I'm, I'm getting football in with that. I have a production company. We're in developments with a, a documented uh, docu-series and then also a scripted comedy, which I hear you're a writer. I heard you on, I forgot what podcast you're on. You're writing scripts and stuff, man. We got to talk. Uh, and then I got a podcast that we're about to launch, which I'm really excited about. I don't know if I can say it. Can I say anything? I, yeah, it's going to be, basically a podcast that goes over important games throughout history of sports. Uh, I'll be sitting down with two people from each side and just talking shop and, and, you know, bringing some actual stories that guys felt during those games or what their perspective of the game. So that's going to be fun. Uh, and then also, you know, I'm, I'm getting a lot more time with my little girl, uh, you know, I just had her out here in New York. I'm in New York right now for the first time. We did Boston last weekend, got her out here to New York for the first time and tried to explain to her that Spider-Man's not everywhere and Paw Patrol and all these little things in the city. It's, it's around, but not always around. So, you know, got a lot going on. How, how tough was last year for you? Because, I mean, anybody that's watched you, we, we knew – I mean, it was tough for a bunch of people for a bunch of different reasons, but for you physically, how tough was that? You know, I, I think physically it was tough, but I think more mentally it was tough because, you know, the year prior, I was feeling great. You know, you're coming off a Super Bowl and then, you know, you're having a decent year and you're getting banged up, but you still felt good until I hurt, you know, your lower extremity. So, like, mentally you're sitting there like, I – there's got to be, you know, I, I can't go out here and, and play and look and, and feel this way when I know there's a standard that I've played at for such a long time where that's where I was, I was getting killed. And you know, that's what pushed me away and made me ultimately make my decision because I got too much respect for this game. You know, when I was younger and I saw a guy that was out of his prime, I was licking my chops. I wanted to embarrass this guy. You know what I mean? And, and, and you also looked at him like, why is this guy still in the league? Or why is he still hanging on? And 
you know, putting all those together, I mean, I, I've, I've played in an outstanding organization with unbelievable players, Tom Brady, Coach Belichick, Matthew Slater, a lot of these unbelievable football players. Like, I've won Super Bowls. I've done everything I've wanted to do in the game. So I was like, you know, I'm, I'm good. So I think more mentally, yeah, physically, it, it sucked. But our, our pain threshold is, as, you know, professional athletes or certain professional athletes uh, you know, it's pretty high. So it wasn't too bad when it comes to the physical. It was more mental. Was there ever a time, because as you're saying, like your eyes light up when you were like, if I saw a vet on film who was, who was fading, like I'm, I'm hyped. Did any young defensive back talk shit to you in 2020? Did they, did they oh, come at you? You know, it was, I mean, there was a couple actually. I think, uh, who was it? So, uh, someone I played with, I think it was like Logan Ryan or something. And he goes, Hey man, you, you ain't looking as fast. Or, or I, I go, no, he wasn't playing. That hurt. That, that honestly hurt. And then when you hear guys say, man, I was watching you in high school, man, I'm such a big fan. Like no one really wanted to talk crap to you or anything. That's when it also hurt. Like, ah, maybe I'm gotta get out. Gotta get out. <laughs> one of the things I'd always heard about New England that, you know, I don't know how specific it is to just them, but it, you would usually hear from somebody who came in from another organization. It's like these guys build again, their expectations are always to be playing for a Super Bowl, but they build through the season in a way that's like very specific um, because this this game, I, I think we lose sight of like whatever we can think about these teams the first month. Half of them are going to be completely different just based on injuries alone. So what is it about the time in New England specific to them and how they would kind of build to all the different stages of the season, hoping to be who they are as they get ready for the first round of the playoffs? Well, I think, you know, one thing that was always said that September was the month for improvement and, and honestly seeing what your team's going to be because you have new players on both sides of the ball. You have new coaches. And there's not really a synergy or like a mesh point that you can gain really in training camp or OTAs that has to be done on the actual football field against other opponents. So that was one thing that I constantly heard in New England. Constant improvement. Everything's about going out to practice. Practice was like little mini games. There was such a premium on practice that it was so insane that like they put it to such a high standard that it gave guys no choice but to improve, therefore raising like the competitive level of everything, therefore making like a synergy and, and a, like guys performing to their absolute best. So I think it, 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 and Bill would always say, you know, hey, your team's not going to be the same, just like as you did in September, as it will be in December. The good teams will continually improve. And the bad teams kind of just flutter away and, and worry about injuries and come up with excuses. The good teams always adjust, adapt, and try to improve weekly. And that's how it was in New England, especially in the early months. But you, you're still – I mean, you got September and you got October. Like, those first two months are kind of in that same category. And then after that, like, it's either – you either have your team or you don't you need to get on a run because the teams that I went on to go win Super Bowls, we always had like a, we'd lose a game maybe in like early, mid-November. And then we'd go on to like a 10 run, a 10 game run. Then like, it was like a reality check. All right. We know what we are. We know we have to do this. This is what our team, this is what we saw had the most success for these first two months. 
So let's stop di- dilly-dagging around with these things that we're trying to get in there for a tendency beat or this, that. Let's just sharpen everything that we have. You know what I mean? So that's what those first two months were. And then by that time, when you get in that third, fourth month, then it's about, all right, now we got to start sharpening. Now we have to start getting things going because it's getting, it's getting time where, you know, you either win or you're done. You're going home on the couch. Your story's unique. You know what I mean? I, I don't know if you, like, did you have this vision for yourself? Like if somebody told you, like when you were leaving college, hey, this is what you're going to end up doing. Would you have believed any of this? You know what? I, 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 I probably wouldn't have, honestly. Um, I remember my senior year, my, my buddies brought home, they went to like Nike Town or something at, at Kent State. And they brought in a Welker and a Troy Palomalu cutout. We put it in our, th- in our, in our freaking apartment and you know, it was party gag or whatever. We'd throw them things in. But I would sit there and I would look at it. And then I would watch film of Wes. And I was really insecure and scared about like that whole first process of like really making a jump from quarterback, which I wasn't like a pocket passing quarterback. I was an athletic guy, but going to receiver against guys that have played receiver for four years in college, potentially even in high school, they had a lot more reps. So like looking back on it, I wasn't really thinking about where I would be. I was just thinking about, damn, I need to like really find a niche. I need to really do everything I can make to make myself the most valuable I can to make a team not cut me. And that was kind of the thing that has always led me to success is really worrying about what's on my plate right now. Cause if you think about the past, you get stressed out or you get anxiety. You think about the future, you get stressed out, you get anxiety. If you really focus all your time and energy on what you have right now, which that's what my dad always preached to me, you know, that's when I had my success. So that, that's kind of where I was at, but I, by no means I think I would, you know, go out and win three Super Bowls and, and, and playing some of the best games that, you know, the league has had and, and, and had some of the teammates I've had and had the longevity that I had. I didn't think that maybe, you know. Yeah, I mean, the number, the number of buddies that I have from the area that absolutely love you to death and will always love you and they'll never meet you, but are just like, you know, you're, you're, you've had some of the, like you said, I mean, you've referenced a few times, but you have like legacy type moments and in that community, you know, who's very used to success, it's almost hard to stand out because there's so many guys. There's so many guys who've gone through there in 20 years that have had their moments. And um, I just know, you know, personally from my friends that are lifelong Boston guys, just being like, man, Jules. Um, I wonder, I mean, I have a little bit of this, like how much one-on-one coaching does Bill do? Did he do it with you early as he's trying to get you ready for that transition? Does it happen later on if he's picking something up? But what's that relationship like from somebody who's unproven to somebody who he clearly would trust? Uh, the one-on-one coaching would be very subtle if, if you did something. Like I remember when I was catching punts for the first time and – you know, Scotty O'Brien, he told me the fundamentals and then you got to do this, you got to do that. And, you know, I was struggling with something. And then Bill walked over and, you know, we didn't talk that often because he would, you know, pretty much talk in front of the team and put out like highlights and lowlights of practice. And that's kind of where he would get his coaching in. But then he came to me on the field and, he, you know, he, he gave me some pointers of, you know, the ball goes over here. It's going to be this. Go team. You know, he was doing his whole spiel. and. Like the fact that he came and talked to me, like 
I never, you know, I thought about that for the rest of the you know, time I was there. Like those little times that he gave you were so impactful because of the respect level you have for a guy like that. But like he would also coach you in meetings. Like if you did something good as a younger player on a, on a good player, like on scout team, like if I went up and I, I ran a good route against Lee Bodden back in 2009, he would put it up there, A, to give me some flowers, and B, to let the other guy, let, let Lee Bodden, who was a veteran corner at the time, like, hell, you better get your shit together. Or can you swear on that? You can get better yeah, yeah. stuff together. You know what I mean? He, he held everyone accountable. And that way of handling things made the little times that he would come into you in the hallway and say, hey, Jules, come here, you know, and, and give you a pointer on, you know, this DB, you know, that. That's when, like, it was crazy impactful it wasn't a lot but the times when he thought it was important it was like damn coach talking all right i gotta get this shit going you know what i mean so we'll get to the headline with tom's return um loaded up with the team here that's that's facing a, a bill team that you know he doesn't know who they are right now i think that's pretty clear a few weeks in uh your perspective on this is is unique because you know i know your relationship with tom and and you're a guy that bill believed in a lot how did you see that that last season is there any because i mean look you're talking about you got a podcast coming out and doing some storytelling is there any i know there's only so far that you're going to go on this because these are your friends right i mean i'm just the guy interviewing you but is there anything from that that time where you felt like this is something i'll always remember about this last season with these two guys that have been aligned this long you know you could tell it was coming to an end just on certain things that I really can't get into. But I mean, those two for whatever, like I knew because I was there for a while, but no one else really could know or, or saw just because those two guys are insane at like compartmentalizing and like showing like Tom was the same guy every day coming into work. You know, like when it came to anything, his mother had cancer. No one knew about it. His, you know, maybe something was going on at home or this was going on there or that was like, he was the same guy always. And Bill was the same exact guy always too. Maybe not been the same person as Tom, but they were, he, they were the same types of people at all times. So like, it, it was very hard to tell for like newcomers or guys that really weren't around or coaches. I mean, I don't know how it was in coaches meetings, but you know, it, it, that last year, I mean, there was just so many other distractions as well that were going on. You know, Gronk retires, AB's here, AB's not here, Josh Gordon gets this. There's like so many other things and that in our organization and those coaches really do a great job of keeping you like into like what we're doing right now and like that you, you couldn't tell. You couldn't tell that it was that bad. I mean, Brady here and there would – he would poke fun at me of like, oh, you know, we're going to do this next year. I'm like, all right, bro. But like he joked around like that all the time. You know what I mean? For like the last eight years. So he didn't know. I heard a story. This actually happened recently. I was out with um, some staff, college staff guys. So I can't, I can't name them. I'll tell you maybe later, but it's not that big of a deal. And I think Tom was working out on the campus and I think you guys were there. Like there was a bunch of pros 
And or BC. What's that? No, no, it wasn't BC. I'm not I'm not gonna name where it was, but it was it was it was some college guys, but it was also some pro guys. And Tom, the way it was described with me, he was he was just throwing some deep balls up in the air, like up and easy, right? That's what you guys call it. Just like, hey, just you know, get let's all get loose. And then it was time to go through the drills. And this guy told me the story. He's like, you broke. And then he was standing behind, like getting ready to go, looking down the line. And Tom just went, no, nah. like <laughs> waved him out of the drill was like, no, dude, like, I don't, I don't know who you are and I'm not throwing to you. And then apparently some of the other guys that were on the pats were like, he didn't throw to us either. So you can't like, I just love hearing about different stories about Tom and how he was wired. I think in a weird way, we don't quite understand how, what this dude is all about. And even though we've watched him for 20 years, we still don't really get it with him. We would go out and like, he was very particular of who he would throw to. And, and if people were around, he didn't like people around. He want like, cause it was work time to him. He, he literally, anytime he was on that field, it was about, like, I need to get an edge. I need to get something out of this. And he's not going to get something out of this with throwing with little Timmy Tommy from fucking, or from, you know, North Dakota State or something. You know what I mean? He's not getting anything out of that. It's A, going to ruin his time. Like, and he, he wasn't bashful to say anything like, hey, you know, hey, bud, I'll throw. No, he would say, nah, not, not, not this one, buddy. Jules, get up. And that's how he was. And that's, and you got to respect it out of him. I love the story and the guy respected it too. And again, there were, I'm not going to name everybody that was involved, but there were other like really established receivers that were like, Hey, don't, don't even sweat it, bro. Like he doesn't, he's not going to throw to us either. Like Jules is a guy and he's going to throw to his guys. And it's just the way it is. He doesn't, he's got his own language. Um, that's also, that's also what made us us because, or, you know, him with the guys that he had good relate Welkers, the Brandies, because he, we would throw so much with each other that we would know each other's body languages. He'd know when I'd be coming out of a cut, and say I would have to break it two yards short because it's man coverage and depth doesn't really matter, where he would know that I'm breaking two yards short and he knew that I was going to cut the angle off where I would cut it so it couldn't get undercut. So the, all those things, there was a purpose for all that. It wasn't because he was trying to be, you know, an a-hole, even though sometimes he can be. So what do you think he, again, I know that he's probably would share it, with, but I'd imagine he wants to embarrass the Pats. You know, it's not like, you know, this is a guy that it's it's the only organization because of Bill that would have not paid him like, hey, look what this guy's done. He's been here 20 years. Let's just if, if he's not great on the back end of this deal, who cares? And Bill's the only guy that would have said, no, I, I think you're declining. So I'm going to move on. And he goes to Tampa. He's won the divorce. But what do you think he's actually saying to himself? If you can give us any perspective on that, because I imagine there's a private moment. Go ahead. Go ahead. He definitely wants to go out there and, and put some points up. That's, how, that's the kind of guy he is. You know, he, he's, he's very competitive. And we'd all be ignorant to, to say that, like, there wasn't a little extra on this, on this game. You know, and, that, and that's how he is. He's going to want to go out there. He's going to want to perform at the absolute best of his ability to show them, you know, like, hey, you, you could have kept me. I mean, this is the same guy that was – we had – didn't we have the Brady Six where he was crying or something uh, because he was drafted a certain way and he already had like four Super Bowls at the time they were making this thing and he's still thinking about this? Like, I can't read minds, but I can read mannerisms. You know what I mean? These things are – he's a repeat offender. <laughs> did, um, did he hit you up and be like, hey, 
We're getting the band back together down here. Once you hit up Gronk. He may have called me. He may have called me right when he signed. But I was, you know, I'm, I'm cool with that. You know, the, you go into your own competitive mode. You want to do better than what Tom's doing. <laughs> You're going to have to get that pliability down. Because that, that, that has me sold. I walked, I walked by the, the TB12 spot in Boylston the other day, and I was like, maybe I should go in here and, and grab some bands or something. Grab you a, a, a protein shake that has no flavor, a couple <laughs> avocado ice creams, and get a ball, bro, and start rolling out. Look, I wasn't a believer a couple years ago. What, what this guy's doing, I, I sign me up. I may need to get on the plan. Um, Julian Edelman, one of the greats. CBS, Viacom, Paramount Plus, doing the Inside the NFL his first year. I hope you're having fun with it, man. And uh, anything we can do to help, man. So let me know. I appreciate that, man. Big fan. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. La Quinta by Wyndham has everything you need for your next business trip. From free high-speed Wi-Fi to fitness centers to free bright side breakfast with fresh waffles, eggs, and more, book direct at LQ.com. Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. I think he's done one of the best jobs so far this season. It's not a surprise. Brock Heward with Fox and also on Sirius Radio um, does a show three days a week talking college ball, EJ Manuel, Ben Harstock. So, Brock, let's start with uh, a game that you did. I went to it. It was the first game I'd gone to in a while. LSU up at the Rose Bowl against UCLA. UCLA wins that one. The reason I, I want to start there uh, is just trying to get a sense of who the Pac-12 is because even with Oregon's win at Ohio State, I think Anthony Brown is kind of hit or miss still at quarterback. Um, I think they're the most talented team, but I just mm -hmm. have a hard time believing that any of these Pac-12 teams are going to run through the season 13 games clean. I, I do as well. I, I think in many ways, you mentioned uh, doing the, the show on Sirius on a national level. It's been great for me because it's – and while I call games, you know, all over the country or with Fox, actually Big 12, Big 10, Pac-12, that radio show opens up the conversation coast to coast. And kind of gives my optics instead of just my view of my game during the week or these conferences. It does stretch me really across the whole country. And Ryan, I would say the Pac-12 is just like everybody else, save for Alabama and Georgia. And that may change this weekend. Ole Miss and the lane train may even change that conversation. But, I mean, go ahead, three through 30. Throw, throw them in the hat. Throw them right in the hopper. And pull the number out. And, and some of the teams like Oklahoma – are more physically gifted and talented than number 25. But Clemson's 25. They're pretty physically gifted and talented. Uh, Cincinnati's pretty physically gifted and talented. But every one of them is vulnerable. I think that's how I look at the Pac-12. And it's what you just said. They're not going to run the table because in your gut, in your instinct, in your eyes that have watched this for decades say, yeah, they're still vulnerable. UCLA's past defense, still pretty vulnerable. Excellent against the run, but they're vulnerable. Oregon, they're playing up and down to their competition each and every week, and, and you can't do that. You're, you're not going to sustain over the course of a season. You're playing to other standards. You have not got either through your quarterback or your best players a standard that's totally set that, hey, man, this is our standard no matter who we play. So I think there's a level of vulnerability for just about everybody, three through 30 in college football, and that's where, unfortunately, for I think George Klievkoff and the Pac-12, even their top teams UCLA and Oregon are still in that vulnerable uh, phase of the phase of the landscape who do you like then I mean who I do you like UCLA better than Oregon 
No, I, I think I like Oregon at the line of scrimmage, Ryan. I think what they did in the horseshoe was was pretty special. And Joe Moorhead is phenomenal. He didn't get enough credit. He is a phenomenal coordinator. I talked to a lot of people in college football. Talked to him after that game. And you watched what he did with his plan. There's a certain number of guys. I think Dan Mullen is phenomenal week in and week out of game planning and scheming and scripting. Ryan Day, over the course of his career, I put in that phenomenal category. Joe Moorhead's phenomenal. Is a just a straight X's and O's. Not even the Jimmys and Joes, just the X's and O's. Now am I going to get my guys in the very best position to defeat you schematically? And I think he does it a cut above the rest. I think they, you know, there's still a little bit of a work in progress defensively. Uh, new defensive coordinators, new defense pieces, obviously personnel as well. But I would say if, if I had to say, okay, it's how I kind of often do this, Ryan. Uh, if I had to pick my team out on the playground, right? And we go out on Meeker Elementary Playground in Piala back in the day. <laughs> and I get my team to play your team and I get to pick my guys. I'm going to pick more, I think, of the Oregon guys and that Oregon team than anybody else out West. I uh, completely agree. I, I don't even really think there's much of a debate as far as talent one through however many you want to go. Now, I will say this, though. UCLA is tricky, man. UCLA's got, I think, the two best tight ends in college football. Uh, th- those two guys from a, from a downfield and a blocking Mike Martinez, their tight end is uh, just a, a freakazoid. He's just not a human. He's got the biggest hands. We hit that on the broadcast. <laughs> And I don't know why I'm infatuated with it, but they measure him. You know, that was my only gift at the combine was like 10 and three quarter hands or whatever I had. These are 12 and a half. The biggest hands, when he goes to the combine, he will have the biggest hands. Nobody is registered at 12. And not only are they enormous, he latches on to people and he just, he dominates the edges. Uh, the running back, Charbonneau, special. That old line is is not elite, but they buy in. Left tackles, an NFL guy, like they... They got pieces there now each and every week that are going to give anybody and everybody fits. So they're, they're going to be good. It's too bad for them. They don't have a piece or two on the perimeter that's elite. right? It's too bad they can't have one of the Ohio State wide receivers out on the perimeter. Just give them one. Give Chip one of them and, and DTR one of them. And then all of a sudden you'd be like, man, I don't know how to defend those guys. But they're vulnerable defensively and Fresno State exposed that. Yeah, that's I hadn't heard the tight end thing there because I think everybody looks at 85. Dolchich was just so fast and was a receiver. And I saw him. He's the kid that I saw at Elite 11 when I went to Miracosta's high school workout and Rattler was there and all those guys were there. And I remember watching um, 85 for UCLA. And he, yes. they, they were just in they were just in, you know, dry fit. And I'm like, who the fuck is this guy? Yes. And they were like, no, <laughs> like he's they're like he's he didn't want he's a well, he was a receiver. And now he's he a tight about- end. 215 pounds and now he's 250 55 pounds and we asked chip you know chip i enjoy chip a lot behind the scenes he is gracious and and really good with us i think it's time actually in the media you kind of learn like wow you know there's an opportunity to 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 use this appropriately and and you know to let a few people in and i've been fortunate to be let in a couple different times and he loves to talk about the science and everything he does in the development of their program projecting guys and it's a fascinating it's it's ringer worthy man uh at some point in the off season if you can get them for like an hour to talk about how they recruit how they project how they develop how they study sleep patterns how they study nutrition and what guys buy in and which guys have the discipline to do it and I said, just point blank, then who is it out of your 85 scholarship guys? Who is the 
most disciplined. If you could take one of your, your message, right? And who has ingested it, who could teach it, who has lived it, who's the one that's the most disciplined. And there was not a second of hesitation. Oh, he's like Dulcich. He beats me here. I mean, he's five in the morning. He's in bed at 8.30. Like he's transformed his body from what you said, a 215-pound receiver to a 250-pound pass-catching, difference-making tight end. Paired with Martinez, who's an, uh, an I mean, an animal. If you study the actual tape, of the, the just the, <laughs> the decimation he does at the point of attack, those two are tough out. So they're going to score points. But like that Fresno game, are they going to be good enough in coverage, right? And, and those are going to stop the run, too. They're, they throw the whole that game that you were at, man. They throw the whole artillery. Let's go. Throw them all. Put the pawns and the rooks and the bishops and throw them all at the run game. We're going to just destroy the run game. But there's big voids left in the pass defense, and that's, that's going to be some of the challenge you'll face this season. You were on the call for the, the Jackson-Dart game. Um, you know, SC's made a change. They're down 14 nothing at Wazoo, and Jackson Dark comes in, and it was great because you're like, okay, this kid was a baller in high school, and he has no idea what he's not supposed to do at the college level, and it worked, 45 straight points, and then it didn't work. Um, give me your, your assessment of what USC is right now. So a couple things. Number one, I would love to see Ryan Rosillo's face when Jackson Dart is in the locker room pregame with his eye black. He's like, and it's not, it's not just eye black either. It's, it's something yeah, else. It's, I couldn't, I mean, the first 10 minutes I was so distracted. I wasn't even like watching the throws. I'm like, Oh, that's right. Okay. Uh, uh, analyze the throw, throw mechanics. Go, go back to your job. Cause he had eye black that started the commitment he made to that. It started in his eyebrow and then he went over his eyelid and down straight down his cheek, right? Just the, just the one line. Like, and I said to Joe Davis during the break, I said, Oh, it hit me. He's scarred from Lion King. Like it's just that, that look. Yeah. And then Joe actually <laughs> said it on the air. I was like, that's, that's pretty good. Joe, Joe's Joe is awesome. Uh, so that, that was the first one. Like, okay, if you've got the stones to do that, you're from Utah and, and he's fascinating, Ryan, because he didn't do much his first two, three years of high school. I believe he transferred and then he threw for 67 touchdowns. I mean, just went to a school that's pretty dynamic and he showed out and big, big time early enrollee wins the backup job. Keaton gets knocked around for, you know, strains his neck. And then Jackson was just, he was special, set USC records. Now, unfortunately uh, for them, he tore meniscus, uh, but played through it. So, like, it's unfortunate that he didn't play last week against that Oregon State. It's unfortunate that they didn't get to make a decision of whether or not they wanted to turn the page and give him the keys to the Ferrari and all of that um, because the injury and knocked him out of that you game. You could and, see, yeah, I mean, you could see in that game he was getting his ass kicked even oh though gosh. he was the reason they came back. I mean, it was actually, I don't know how many people saw the game, but it was the yes. kind of game where it was beyond just football. It was like the story and you're going, I wish this kid could protect himself. When he got right. up on that one hit, he's looking over the sideline being like, it doesn't look like I can walk right now, guys. And then he stayed in for the rest of the game. And they're like, what do you want to do? You want to put the other true freshman in? No, I'll just, I'll suck it up. And then I'll just start throwing darts. And the, the last name is, is appropriate. I had someone text me in the business, pretty good text, and said the USC job became that much more appealing. 
right? We talk about this with NFL franchises and, and people wanting a young franchise quarterback, right? Urban Meyer left the set because he's got Trevor Lawrence to build around. People were intrigued before Deshaun's 150 masseuses came out uh, with that job because, wow, I got Deshaun Watson. I got a young franchise quarterback. And th- that, that kid's got some special attributes. He showed it and displayed it physically with his physical toughness, his physical arm and all of that. Uh, but USC also then turned around and showed the next week they're a mess. They're a mess. And what they are at the line of scrimmage is, uh, from, from a USC standpoint, embarrassing. Embarrassing. That if you looked at Pete's dynastic run there for 10 years, and I know it's super unfair to compare it, but it wasn't 50 years ago. Right, Ryan? Like, this isn't a job where you go, oh, my gosh, in the 70s, in the 80s. No, no, no. It was like a decade ago. Pete showed you how you have to do it. And what he did at the line of scrimmage was just was destruction. It was NFL first-rounders again and again and again. Not just the position players, not just Reggie and Matt and receivers and corner. It was like at the line of scrimmage, they were salty. I believe one year, I remember looking back some time ago, they gave up less than 10 points a game. Couldn't do that in today's college football, too hard, rule change, RPO, all that stuff. But what they were at the line of scrimmage was just night and day from what they are. And when I start to study teams and look at their rosters, that's usually where my eyes go first, Ryan. It's not to the quarterback anymore, the receivers. Okay, let me see you at the point of attack because that separates the men from the boys. That's Georgia this year. That is Alabama this year. That is and has been the national champions the last 10 years. What are you up front? And what they are up front at defensive line is it's hard to fathom you could get to that level with the recruiting opportunities and the demographics recruiting wise within a couple hours of you. I know you're prepping for Oklahoma. They get Kansas state who, you know, suffered a loss to Oklahoma state, Oklahoma state. I think Michigan state are two teams. None of us really have talked about. Agreed. Um, And I love Michigan state's coach Mel. I just, every time he talks, it doesn't surprise me. They've got the wake transfer running back. Who's absolutely on fire. (laughs) Um, but I kind of want to go with Oklahoma here because I know you're doing the prep. What, are, what yeah. are you seeing right now from a group where always, and I mean, the irony of this is that they finally got the defense. Correct. It is. <laughs> and now, now it's, it's exactly the worst right. offense we've seen in six years. It's exactly right. It's, I, and I saw in Oklahoma my first year at Fox and the way that our crew works is kind of in the second half of the season, we start to get spun the games that have playoff contenders that are either in it you know, top five or what have you, if you're fortunate in the Big Ten, Big 12, Pac-12 to have a team there or a team right on the cusp of it. So there was one year, I believe I saw Oklahoma in 19, five times, Ryan, five times Jalen Hurts and that crew. And they were so imposing physically up front. They just, they just mauled you. And Bill Biedenboe, their longtime O-line coach, like that. there's NFL first rounder, there's another one, there's an NFL tackle. There's, they're all over the place in the NFL, the guys that he's produced that they didn't play nor want to play defense. Alex Grinch was his first year in 19. And he said to me, I'm as much psychologist. I am football coach. Like the, <laughs> it's just been beaten down here. Like on defense, just don't screw it up. Just try not to give up 50. Just give us the ball a couple times. If you give up 35 or 40, whatever, right? We'll score 50, but just, just don't get in our way. And now you put on the tape and they're like, flying man they're playing 25 guys last game close game one possession game they got their like second on on the depth chart their second string guys in in the final six minutes like the biggest possessions of the game like a hockey line like they just play 25 dudes they couldn't play and find 11 
in 2019. They want to run out some of them. So now they got 25 guys that are feisty, that want to hit you. Uh, got NFL guys up front in their defensive line, defensive tackle, Perry on Winfrey's an NFL physical guy. Isaiah Thomas, which is so weird for me to see a DN named Isaiah Thomas, because uh, I think of cold-blooded and <laughs> Isaiah with the Pistons, but maybe it is Isaiah with the Pistons. I got to retrain my mind because that's, that's what they are, man. They're, they're physical, but then flip it around and offensively, they're just, that O-line is, yeah, yeah. Like yeah, not. it's not. It, this isn't all on Rattler at all. Now, no. you know, when I watch the West Virginia game and I'm watching Dante Stills and how about Akeem Mesador, the sophomore? I mean, these guys, for whatever you think of the Big 12, and honestly, most of the Big 12 criticism was totally accurate. Like, you used to drive mm-hmm. me crazy when Big 12 fans would be like, oh, whatever. And you like, like, send you a clip of a missed tackle in an SEC game. Like, do you seriously want to do this? Do you seriously want to do this during the peak Kingsbury, Texas Tech run where you were just like, nobody tackles anybody? Yep. Um, West Virginia's front. Like, they can hang, man. So I don't know if it was Oklahoma going, how the hell does West Virginia have a – but they should have seen enough at this point uh, yes. because I like their personnel. Um, the Rattler part, though, I can't figure out because I think in arm talent, the way I would describe it – again, you're the guy mm-hmm. who played in the pros, but I don't think there's many kids I've ever seen that are as good as understanding velocity differential. Unlike, hey, this is what I have yeah. to do with this pass. That, yeah. But – there's an arrogance to him which we already knew if any of us spent any time with him and let's just face it be honest like a lot of times when people spend time around rattler they don't leave it going i love this kid um (laughs) all right and that's being about as nice as i can be and so kind of started on the high school show right it started on the high school show and then i think people i think a lot of the football guys would be like hey let's give him an open and then it was like nah i mean it just sucks for him because he's doing it to himself in that way and I think the arrogance isn't so much the part from the TV show or the interaction. I think there's an arm arrogance to his mm-hmm. game so that when it's not working out, Brock, it's like, okay, yep. now I'm going to be, I don't know. I mean, it was really weird because I give Stanford Steve all the credit in the world. He's like, Spencer Rattler's the Heisman favorite and he might also get benched for Caleb Williams. And then you had the home crowd chanting for the five-star backup. Yes, I think all of that is very fair. Uh, and speaking to a guy that played with an uh, immense amount of talent my first year, two years in college, Second year in particular, we were a very talented team, maybe one of the three most talented teams in all of college football in 97 in Washington, preseason top five. We end up losing to Nebraska, who wins the national title that year with Scott Frost. And I got beat up, and uh, our team got beat up that year. And then I come back for my final year, and everybody left. <laughs> and it was like, whoa, this is a whole new O-line. This is not, there's no Olin Krutz. There's no Benji Olsen, right? There's, there's no Jerome Pathon. It was, it was tough sledding. Fundamentally, I got broken emotionally. It was broken. It was hard. Spencer's not there yet, but you start to p- compile and pile up more games like West Virginia where you can't take a drop back. Like, I mean, Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, if you were to study the amount of air just like volume of air in the pocket that those guys would throw from Ryan in college. Just compare and contrast that with the pocket right now that Spencer has and the amount of space, the lack thereof that he has. It is night and day difference. Uh, Oklahoma's O-line, left tackle, more than likely this week will be a transfer from Tennessee. First year guy, they wanted to play their young guy, grow him, develop him, struggling so much. Okay, got to go to the, the transfer from Tennessee. Uh, the center they started this year had been, uh, honestly, like four different schools. It bounced around everywhere. Arizona was his last stop, comes here. Okay, experience, well, can't play. 
So now we're going to bench him for our true sophomore that's up against it right now, having a hard time. The right guards transfer from UCLA, who was an okay player at UCLA. But, you know, Chip and crew kind of said, yeah, you want to go play somewhere else? That's their old line. The, the left guard's a good player. He's been there for three years as starter. Like, he would start on the O-lines five years ago. He, he would. But that's about it. And the right tackle has been their right guard that they have to move out to right tackle. He's not a tackle. So that's what you got up front. And that's, that's – uh, Stanford Steve, I don't know if that was his intuition with Spencer or if it was all Spencer. But if he looked at that O-line and then he started watching tape and go, ooh, yeah, this is not – this is not the, the war daddies. This is not the NFL dudes. And these are not the road graders that we had that was able to mix in, run, and play action and everything that Lincoln can do well. It's some tough sledding in that pocket for Spencer right now. Okay, but what does that mean for them against the rest of the Big 12? You had Iowa State and Baylor, which was a great game. And uh, shout out to Aranda and Baylor. You know, I thought some of their stuff this year, they're like, hey, we needed to figure out how to be coaches. You know, they were yes. honest about it. Um, Correct. And Baylor's a competitive team. Again, here they're they're four and zero. Not that Baylor extends itself in their non conference, uh, as, yep. as we know. <laughs> but they beat yes. look they beat an Iowa State team, the highest preseason ranking ever. I mean, do you still think Oklahoma turns this thing around and gets through a clean? Are you off of Iowa State? You know, Texas has made the change at quarterback here. I, I'm still not sure that's necessarily who they're going to be. Um, you know, Tech lost their quarterback in that game, which was it's just a weird game because Texas it is. kind of they whatever feel number Big they 12, Then the Big 12 feel back to our kind of starting conversation a little bit like the Pac-12, other than Oklahoma has been head and shoulders, has been the front runner, has won it six consecutive, has been to the playoff, has more culture, has more been there, done that, has more just chops than obviously Oregon or UCLA or anybody out West. But as far as the rest of it, if you want to compare and contrast, I mean, I think there's a ton of similarities to the Pac-12. That that each team, if you just took what their strength was, go, yeah, man, I like that. I like UCLA's run game. I like their two tight ends. Well, you know what? I love Iowa State's linebackers. <laughs> I love their two D linemen, McDonald and and uh, Wazarike. I mean, they're, they're dominant dudes. Um, you you could take bits and pieces from a bunch of them. What's for or, or Iowa State will still be an incredibly tough game for Oklahoma. Baylor is going to present some line of scrimmage challenges for Oklahoma. Oklahoma State, who you just said, right? We're not talking about Michigan State and Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State's defense is salty. Those safeties are salty. Those edge players get up feel. They are salty. So there is going to be enough over the course and journey for Oklahoma in this conference where you say, geez, you know, this pocket and this line it's not going to get a breather. It's not going to get – Kansas will give them a breather. <laughs> but then there's not a ton of other just, whew, we can exhale, not really challenged physically. You know, a lot of these teams physically with this O-line as they're composed right now at Oklahoma. And, you know, no one's walking through that door right now. This is – you've got what you got up front. They're going to be physically – Spencer's going to be physically challenged in a bunch of these games here in the second half of the season. You did AM and Colorado, and I, you know, I don't know what to make of the Jimbo thing because I was reading a piece on the Athletic the other day, and it's like, do we look at Jimbo and go, hey, what's, what's the deal here? I think his record's the same as Sumlin's through 40 games. When I read that, I was like, wow. Um, but Jimbo also has a ring, and he's got a, a team on the cusp, or at least mm -hmm. last year. It's like, my big thing is, are you in the mix for even a chance at this thing? And AM was that last year. Yeah. And other than the gold standard programs, like really just Bama 
and Clemson of the last few years. I'm not leaving out Ohio State, but you get the point. Like everybody else should just be, hey, are we at least alive to play for a national championship? That's not enough for Clemson and Alabama, right? Yep. So I know that Calzada wasn't the guy. I, you know, I read something else too. It's like, hey, it was really close. Yeah, but the, the, the guy they picked isn't playing in Haynes King. So we can pretend it was close all spring. I don't think it was really as close as other people made it out to be. They made the decision right before the season starts. What do you make of this offense with with somebody who has weapons? The running backs are awesome. Widemeyer, the tight end, is terrific. Um, I would take some of. The, I might take Leal defensively over any other player in the country, mm-hmm. and that means Kayvon at Oregon. See, that's mm-hmm. that's how much I love some of their personnel. Yep. And they lose to Arkansas, and that wasn't even really close. Like yeah. Arkansas was a control for sixty minutes. Gonna be hard. Calzada is not Haynes King. Uh, Haynes King. Here's a little story behind the scenes uh, doing that game. And uh, truth be told, I have a brother on staff, so uh, I may be a little biased <laughs> in this question <laughs> when it comes to A&M because I, I know an awful lot about them behind the scenes and, and what they're doing. So you're not going to rip Jimbo is what you're telling me? <laughs> <laughs> Probably going to have a hard time ripping Jimbo here, yeah. But, uh, but Luke had told me, my brother, he's like, man, Haynes King is fast. This little kid is fast. He's not the thrower that some others are and that Jimbo's had in the past, but Duke can run. And then he gets nicked up in camp. So going even into that Colorado game and into this season, we didn't see him at 100% lower leg injury and everything else. Uh, Well, then he breaks his leg, right? He gets just cartwheeled and his leg slams into the Colorado defender and breaks his leg. Uh, Different injury, but breaks his leg, so he's going to be out. We're sitting there the day before the game, a couple of the A&M players, the two safeties, great guys, fun. O'Neal, hilarious. If you ever want to talk to a terrific player, player interviews can be tough. Tough. Uh, this guy, home run, O'Neal, the safety for A&M. And uh, so I kind of in my back pocket knew that Haynes was fast. And I said to them, okay, obviously A-chain, world-class speed, running back. Six fastest 200-meter time in the world. <laughs> okay? I mean, world- When you take Spiller out and put in an A-chain, you're just like, okay. World-class <laughs> speed. I said, if we line up the, the to A&M guys and you put them out there, you know, football uniform or whatever or not, Put them on the line, run to the 50. Who's second on the team? And they both kind of look at each other like, should we say this? Right? <laughs> kind of read the room like, should we be honest? And they're like, honestly, Haynes. <laughs> and, you know, there's kind of a little, <gasps> everybody on our crew, I, I kind of knew that answer in a way. That's why I asked it. Um, so I was curious from their perspective. And then they were telling stories of conditioning in the summertime. Like, it was, it was hilarious. Like, we're out there running gassers, and Haynes just like, whew, this dude can run. So that was going to be an element to add into uh, their mix with his inexperience as a passer, that at least he could compensate their inexperience up front and throw them, um, Ryan, and I know it's not sexy and it's not the greatest podcast nor the greatest radio to talk O-line. Ooh, let's talk O-line because <laughs> nobody knows their names other than when you start to study them, you know, kind of week to week. But look around college football. Clemson's O-line, huge delta from what they've been. We talked at length about Oklahoma's group. A&M right now, where they were a year ago, what were they called? The Maroon Gang or whatever? Like they were one of the best, right there, the best O-line in college football. They're not. I mean, they're hey, not look- even Ohio State, I saw moments against Tulsa where I'm like, Tulsa's D-line just wrecked your entire run plan. Like so off the I line asked, of scrimmage. 
Yeah. So I am Matt Stinchcomb and I was chatting with Matt, who I love to talk to. Another great interview, former NFL lineman, All-American at Georgia. So Matt, what is it? Because we can go look at this and we'll talk about kryptonite and vulnerabilities of teams in college football. I, in my eye, constantly comes back to the difference, right? The difference they are. What, what is Clemson, Ohio State, uh, A&M, Oklahoma, these teams from we've seen them just run the show, just make it look so easy. And my eye goes to that line of scrimmage. They're not moving people. They're not protecting that pocket I talked about earlier. You know, look at Trevor Lawrence and Taj Boyd and Deshaun Watson's air, just the air around them, right? If you had a measuring tool and now look at what DJ and look at what Spencer and look at what these guys are feeling around them, that matters. There's not space. Space isn't just on the perimeter. Space is in that pocket. And Matt made a pretty good point. He said, you know, I mean, I think there's a lot of different reasons. Construction of rosters. You know, if you're going to run spread, you need more receivers. And, you know, are you, are you committing 15 scholarships truly to that O-line? Or are you, hey, you know what, we can get away with it. And we run this RPO stuff, and it's easier on linemen, right? You've heard that. Oh, RPO, easier. They don't have to be great. Just kind of get in the way. And, and you know, he kind of referenced, you know, roster construction. He referenced scheme in that way. Like, heck, linemen today, they don't even know if they do their job well. Just go out there and get in space, blocks inside zone and get in the way or RPO, just get in the way. Like, is there a, you know, an evaluative tool to project? No, this guy's a difference maker for you. Um, and then you know, I, I go back to David Shaw conversations and David Shaw, when, it, when the NCAA passed the rules of no two a days and, you know, kind of like the NFL, we're not going to hit, we're going to take pads off. We're going to have walkthroughs and can't have back-to-back two a days. And David Shaw's like, well, there goes the essence of what we do, like that strain and that leverage and that callousing at the line of screen. We got to callous our guys, <laughs> got to play low. And the only way you do that, you can't do that in a walkthrough. Sorry. So I think there's different reasons for it. But, you know, I, I have my eye over the course of this season, Ryan, on that maybe more than anything else to point to why these behemoths are having a hard time against Tulsa, while they're having a hard time against Toledo why they're having a hard time for A&M at Colorado. That group up front, man, those five, that's half the team. It's half your roster, and it's a lot more of your identity, right? When you're a big, physical, nasty, just punch you in the mouth team up front, that sets a tone for the whole 85. And when you don't have that, you feel the chasm, the difference between when you had it and when you don't. Okay, last thought here. I don't know how much tape you've done on it because you haven't had either assignment, but Ole Miss going into Tuscaloosa here. Yep. Um, we know the numbers Ole Miss has put up. Um, we know what Lane is, is capable of in game planning and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and look, Bama did something against Florida we've, we've never seen under Saban. I mean, they got gassed and they couldn't run the football. That was It was 21-3, and then you're like, what the hell happened with the rest of this game? And it was kind of <laughs> weird watching it. I don't know if it's the college thing where you're up 21-3 and you're Bama and you go, who cares? But they, the, the, the thing what I would say, when I looked at Ohio State's struggles defensively, I go, okay. And then when I would look at Alabama's, I go, these are two different things. Bama has the personnel to fix this next Correct. week. Correct. Ohio State doesn't. Other teams Correct. don't. So Correct. I don't know how deep you can go on that game. So take it anywhere you want to go. Well, there's a couple places I go. I, I would love to be in that press box or on the sidelines before the game because I think you're going to have more NFL evaluators difference makers, GMs at that game than you will oof, just about any other game in the regular season this year. I mean, Georgia, Alabama, if they get there in the SEC championship, obviously, but 
the, the Matt Corral. Like we can talk about O line, and I I enjoy doing that. But we know what drives conversation. What's easy for the fan to digest. It's easy for them to digest. The quarterback, right? Balls in his hands every play. You get to see it. You can make that judgment really easy. I can't. I can't wait to watch this tape of him because I think he's the most intriguing. Daniel Jeremiah said it before the season. Like the whispers around, you know, the Manning camp, they all kind of got together. You get to see him down at the Manning camp, compare and contrast. I test a little bit. Sam Howell's arm was terrific. Malik Willis is a phenomenal athlete and, and growing as a thrower. But most of the NFL guys preseason were like, man, this Matt Corral tape is, like, I keep watching it. Like, this dude is twitchy. He is, and he's got a little lightning in the bottle. And the, the first game of the season, back to Spencer Radler, right? And kind of your conversation about him elevating people. People like him. Do they, or do they want to be elevated by him? Are they? Do they believe in him? And they're still searching, I think, for some of that in Norman with him to grow. You see the first game of the season stood out to me against Louisville. I might be saying that wrong. How do you say, how do you say Louisville? I say, I say Louisville. You say Louisville? Yeah. I think there's a way to say it. So I apologize to all those folks in Kentucky if I screw that up. Cardinals. And player gets ejected, or for, for Ole Miss, player gets ejected. And who's on the sidelines coaching? Who, who's the one picking the defense up? Who's sitting on the defensive side encouraging? It's Matt Corral. And it wasn't fake leader guy. Right, you can cut yeah, through yeah. some of that. Right, <laughs> it wasn't. Hey, where's the camera at? Let me go pat my guys on the butt. Hey, come on, let's do it for the team. It was a genuine player gets ejected, arm around him, sit on the bench next to him. Hey, man, I got you. We're good. And I was like, man, that, you just don't see that a lot. That's a hard trait for today's young people to have as a leader. It's hard. It's harder, I think, ever than ever before in this like and dislike world that we live in, man. And I talk to these coaches a lot about that. It's hard to find someone that can be outspoken, that's willing to put themselves out there. For some reason, that image just, it stuck with me that game. And then you just watch him play and distribute and the ball is out and his twitchiness and his run and his quickness and his quick release and his eyes. And as I said, man, this is one where he can, he beats Alabama. We've watched meteoric rises of quarterbacks. Kyler Murray become a number one pick. Baker Mayfield become a number one pick. Right, we've watched meteoric rises of guys, Joe Burrow, meteoric rise. We've watched it here the last five, six years. Matt Corral goes to Tuscaloosa, takes care of the football, which he's done this year. He's learned to throw it away. He's learned to get down. He's not thrown five picks. He's not he's 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 taken a significant step. He does that, Ryan. He's the he's the front runner now in Heisman odds. Right? I think he jumped even uh, Bryce Young in Bryce Alabama. Young, yeah. So I think, you know, you got one, two in the Heisman odds right now. He beats them. He's in New York City. And even more for him, this intrigue of the NFL becomes reality. Like, man, I got to – if we took Zach Wilson number two, speaking of meteoric rise, if we took him number two, what's the difference between Zach Wilson and Matt Corral? That will be some of the conversation if he gets it done. That's where my eyes will be. And – he had seven touchdowns against Tulane, and maybe I'm wrong about Tulane and, and catching them twice this year. I don't think they're terrible. They're one nope. and three. Nope. And, you know, they were in it in Oklahoma. That wasn't really fluky. 
Um, I know they lost the UAB after they gave up a million points to Ole Miss, but mm-hmm. I don't think that that's that's not seven touchdowns against some FCS school where you're like, what the hell's going on? And he could have had ten if he wanted to. And so, I like that right there, right? I like that they pulled him out. That, that's yeah, Lane Train is he's he's eccentric. He's gonna mix it up. They could have kept him in. They could have. They, he could have had ten touchdowns. If there's a guy that you would have thought Correct. was going to stay in, it, it'd be yeah. Lane doing yeah. it. Um, I, I get it in college. It actually drives me crazy now with some of the stuff. Like when Clay Thompson gets yanked out of a game, I'm like, no, let's see what can happen here. Yes. So, yeah. uh, Brock, I can't tell you enough. Every Saturday, man, when I catch you and Joe, I was like, you guys are just so good start to finish. Mm. So check them out on Fox and again, Sirius XM with the college stuff as well. What's the uh, time there so people can catch you? This week, oh, on uh, on Sirius, on I radio, am on one to four Eastern time, Monday, Tuesdays, Thursdays, uh, and just yeah, have a good time with that. And it'll be fun to see Oklahoma. It'll be fun to see Ohio State. So I get to see those two teams next couple weeks. And you know, maybe we do this uh, week twelve or so. We'll catch up again. This was a blast, Ryan. Yeah, love to. That's right. He's got Oklahoma. That's at Kansas State. That one's going to be three thirty Eastern time. Thanks, Brock. You got it, Ryan. See you, bud. This episode is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Looking for a better way to watch live TV? Stream your favorite sports and shows on over 95 live channels with Hulu Plus Live TV. Get access to Hulu's entire streaming library, Disney Plus and ESPN Plus, all in one plan. Start your free trial of Hulu Plus Live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. You want details? Fine. I drive a Ferrari, 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. All right, we got some good life advice follow-ups. At times, it can feel like a community um, if the topic is the right one and people rally around it. The dunk email... The amount of people that have responded to that and offered up their own stories. I had a ton of side texts from guys just being like, what? And then I had one friend who was like, you used to round up some of your stuff to set goals for yourself. Are you a psychopath? And I was like, ah, whatever. Sorry. Um, so, um, I don't know. Saruti, Kyle, do you guys have any more thoughts on any of it? Because we had a lot. We also had a lot of people chiming in too about the coaching, um, the youth coach deal. But that that's like politics. That thing could veer in a million different directions where a dunk guy was pretty succinct. Uh, most people were like, there's no way that guy dunks. Here's my story. I don't know if you guys had more on that because I have one follow I liked, I liked the, I didn't, if anybody said more than one sentence on it, I didn't look at anything, but I did like it was sort of like an America Votes thing where it was like, that. I think he dunked. Most people think that he didn't dunk. So <laughs> I just kind of, I didn't read it into it anymore. If there was another sentence in there, I kind of turned my brain off, but I just kind of liked, like even on your pod, like I'll look on, on your pods that you post on Twitter to see if like I miss an edit and I have like a little, you know, thing in my stomach, like, oh, fucking Kyle. So I look and I can see even on past podcasts are like, that guy definitely dunked. It's like kind of, they were spamming some of your, your Twitter posts. So that I've been following along that way. Saruti? 
I feel like I would bet an unhealthy amount of money that that guy could not dunk and would have been very comfortable with it. And that's where I'll I'll leave that. But then people were actually I did I did see a lot of Twitter sort of mentions about your lifting strategies and whether or not that was actually genius or just kind of like a random you thing. So I don't know, maybe people should start doing that. Yeah, because I mean, I could have been called out in a different way, which is fine. I mean, at times, um, I can't be the coolest guy ever, every single podcast, um, which I know is, <laughs> is certainly not the goal. Um, but I, I don't know. I'll, I'll sometimes let you guys in. And it was some weird thing. I, you know, I really wish I hadn't told anybody I was trying to be a writer. Um, but I think I may have subconsciously told everybody because I was like, well, now you have no choice but to succeed. Um, and I'll admit, I, I kind of like, yeah, maybe I should have just shut up about it. But I think I did it to, to motivate myself a little bit. I also think I did it, too, so that people that were in the industry that I had made contacts with may be like, oh, hey, you know, I should get the word really out. doing yeah. this. Yeah, get the word out. So I could probably do a better job of that. And I don't. And it's honestly turned into this long running joke where now people don't even think it's real. And it's just a joke. And I, you know, I went on with Adnan and talked about it a bunch, but I kind of like, all right, you know what, until you're actually doing something that's like really exciting and you're really proud of, um, we've probably just shut the fuck up about it at this point. So maybe that's a statement. We're issuing a statement now on, on the, uh, the writing career. Okay. Um, let's, let's get to this. Cause this is a really good one. Uh, I found myself in the same situation as the dunk guy, 26 years old, 6'1", 160 soaking wet, surprisingly athletic. Oh, is he white? Yep. Okay. Me and my three best friends were out drinking, watching a football game, and a kicker missed a kick from 30, 35 yards. I made the comment that I could make the kick, to which one of my friends said, no chance. We went back and forth for a while, and I agreed on a $100 bet that I could make three of five from 35 yards. Prior to the bet, I went to uh, test it out. So solo, I go out and buy... <laughs> a bunch of footballs, or excuse me, one football, uh, and the leaning kick-holding thing, and went out to a Pop Warner-type field near where I live. Again, this is a 26-year-old by himself on a field kicking field goals. I, I think that's America. That's America right there is what that is. Uh, I started at 25 yards. Not really a problem is you don't have to put a ton of leg into it. But when I went back to 35, I couldn't make any. Dejected, I headed home. But when I got out of the car, I couldn't lift my kicking foot. The toe would drag across the ground when I tried to take a step. I called my doctor and he diagnosed drop foot, prescribed a ton of Advil and said I probably shouldn't do whatever I was doing. Um, that's another thing you'll notice too. At 26, I'm surprised you got immediate drop foot. But I threw a baseball uh, a few months ago. And of course, you know, if you grew up throwing, you know, throwing a baseball, you know, pitched, um, you know, a little bit in your life, um, you know what you're going to do. You're going to start winding up, you know, you're going to start seeing if the slider's there, you know, even though it sucked, it was never there, but you get the point. You know, it's kind of, it's not as egregious as the guy who just, there's always one guy that's going to punt the football. It's, it's a law, you know, it just, if you're at the beach throwing a football, there's three guys, one is going to punt it. It is, it's the biggest lock ever. There's no better bet than one guy's going to punt it. And then everybody else will be like, oh, you're, you're the guy that was going to punt it. Um, you're always going to kind of gear back a little bit. So I threw, I don't know, I don't know, threw baseball back and forth for 10, 15 minutes. The inside of my hamstring hurt so fucking bad because your body's like, hey, what's this movement we haven't done in forever? And kicking is absolutely one of those things. Uh, kicking, if you don't do it, and then all of a sudden you start doing it all the time. Your body's just going to reject the entire process. So our guy's drop foot, can't make him 35. His question is, do I come clean to my buddies? Do I claim that I went out to practice, had some success, probably would have been a good bet. But my doctor said I couldn't do it anymore. I, I love that you're thinking <laughs> of lying to them and having the doctor, but they're going to make fun of you so bad if you do that. And they should because you're lying. Pay the hundred bucks. Tell them you were wrong. 
Um, you'll get more respect from that instead of this. This is going to be like a lifelong tragedy that'll be brought up. It'll never be forgotten. It's going to wear on you like the murder and crime and punishment. Maybe not because that guy was kind of tapped, but you get the point. Um, I would I would absolutely come clean. I love that you're even asking about this, but there's far more to lose, whether it's respect and future arguments, and it's going to come up again when you're drinking five years from now, and you're going to have to stay married to this lie over a hundred dollars. I think it's I think it's such a better story if you just totally come clean, own it, drop foot and all, pay the hundred. They laugh at you, but you're gonna gain way more from all of this by handling it that way than going with a conspiracy. I would reserve the right to try at least. I would tell them your story, but also reserve the right to try when you're healed and then don't practice anymore. Cause then you at least have one shot of not losing a hundred bucks. I would say come clean and be like, listen, it's not going to happen right now. I, I, you don't have to tell them what your make and miss ratio was. It'd just be like, I really hurt myself. Um, or even say that I, I couldn't hit him. But I think you should still reserve the right to try because that is part of the bet. <laughs> okay, but it just sounds like you're doing whatever you can to avoid giving up the 100 bucks now. Is that fair? Well, how, how long does he need? I mean, what is this hamstring like detached? Like, how long does he need? Yeah, but you're saying he's never going to do it later on either. You're just you're I'm like, not saying never do it later. I'm saying uh, like do it later on. Still reserve the right to try. Like obviously be like, how long is too long before you guys say I have to give you this money? Like, yeah, but he knows give it one shot. He knows he can't make it so that you're delaying the inevitable here. But yeah. what if you can? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think Kyle was going to be as good on this one. And he was once again. I, I, I cannot believe how often you bring it and your your efficiency is off the charts oh my god sorry that's just a little love for our guy kyle here saruti no i appreciate the never say die attitude from kyle um i mean i guess you know i don't think he's there's no way he's gonna miraculously be able to kick a 35 yard field goal so you could give your friends the entertainment of you trying which and then say hey like okay i'll i'll, I'll embarrass myself maybe i maybe because i do that i don't have to pay you the 100 bucks like make some sort of deal there but the worst case scenario in all of this would be you ducking out and giving your friends a doctor's note so definitely don't do that and lie about how you like you oh i can't do this physical activity anymore because a doctor said so like that's an immediate this guy's a, this guy's lame this guy's a loser so i think you either try and and like maybe bargain down with embarrassment that the amount of money or you just say hey i'm gonna pay the 100 bucks and walk away um that's that's uh, i i just think it's there's the the value of the hundred dollars is not greater than the value of <laughs> like I don't know maybe you have sick friends who knows you know they just want to see you go out there and injure yourself again I think there's a lot of guys listening to this though going no like why why admit it that my point is is you made the bet and you've admitted you're never going to be able to make it from 35 so just get it over with you know because at 26 you guys are going to keep bringing this up all the time because you don't have enough distractions in your life yet you know that's why when you're younger you can remember music and all the lyrics and you can recite movies and you know everything that's going on because you know whatever your storage is isn't taken up yet and then as you get older it's taken up with shit that's way more important than knowing every character from a tv show or every lyric from your favorite artist and you're just like okay so i'm just saying at 26 you guys are going to put way too much time into this because there's just not enough i mean unless you guys are like all married or something and i don't know anything about it but anyway um okay i think i think we have enough on that i want to I don't do a lot. Of, I could probably do maybe a full podcast on uh, life advice for people that want to get in the industry. Um, I've thought about it. I don't know. I mean, I already talked for an hour and a half, so maybe 
maybe we could do it at some point. But I'll do one here because uh, people really love the Tyson Fury interview. I'll tell you, I think I'm actually getting too much credit for it now at this point. Um, it wasn't, it was a strategy, I guess. Um, and we already rehashed it and everything after the fact, but I'm pretty floored and it always can be a nice reminder of, of when you do something that people like, um, it does feel good. So I, I want to thank everybody that, that reached out and liked that interview that much. Um, and look, I just was kind of like, all right, this interview's going to suck. So why am I going to sit here longer? Um, for those that are asking like, Hey, how did you do? I probably wouldn't have done it 10 years ago. I definitely would have done it when I first started out. Uh, I wouldn't have had the balls to, and it wasn't even like, Hey, I'm so cool. Look at me challenging Tyson Fury. That, that wasn't really why I was doing it. I just was like, Hey, I spent, it was a later taping and I was so annoyed that I'd ruined the rest of my day waiting around to do it. And I was like, Oh, and now it's going to suck. And it turned out great. And he was terrific. And I have no hard feelings about it at all because it wasn't really that bad. It was just, Hey, I'm not going to sit here and keep doing this if you don't want to do the interview. So, um, I, I do appreciate people making it out to be almost bigger than it was, but I, I don't know, Saruti, I feel like, again, I'm getting too much credit now for it. Cause I don't think it was like, it was okay. It wasn't, um, but I don't know. Um, but let's, let's hit this guy's question because I can answer interviewing stuff, um, in a different way. All right. So anyway, guys, what's up? Uh, my man's writing from Mexico, sports journalist, 25 years old, focused mainly on the NBA, got hooked on the podcast about six months ago. All right. Shout out, shout out to Mexico. Um, a couple months ago, I had a similar situation. He's referencing the Tyson Fury thing where the interviewee was in a bad mood to not give me anything to work with. And I simply just ran out of questions. I'd had complicated interviews, but never like this for months. I've wondered how to attack these types of interviews. And I think they found, uh, I think I finally found my answer by listening to your interview with Fury. All right. I would tell you, I don't know that you want to make a habit of it. Every interview that doesn't go well, be like, Hey dude, do you want, do you not want to do this? Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? It would actually be kind of funny if that became one interviewer style that as soon as he felt like it was going wrong, you just would constantly question your guest. Um, I don't think you can go to that well that often. Um, so I don't know that that would be the, the best. I, here's, here's what I should do. And I'm just going to, he was basically like, can you give us more thoughts on interviewing? Um, I'll tell you this. Most of us aren't as good as we think we are. And I have done, especially when it's radio and you're probably doing three hour show, 12 segments, six guests, so you're doing six interviews every day, 30 a week. Some of them don't go great. And sometimes it's, you know, the radio interview, the format of it is outdated and it kind of sucked where you felt like if you had somebody for eight minutes, that was pretty good. Um, but I think the reason podcasts have been so successful too is like we actually want to hear from people longer. You know, if you're interesting, I don't want to hear, you know, it's hard to really, right as you warm up, you're saying goodbye. So I don't know if it's the clocks and the ads and the national broadcasts of a place like ESPN. There's all this technical stuff that goes into it that I'm sure some of you don't realize. Like the infamous time, one of my co-hosts decided to do a moment of silence and didn't tell anybody. And I had people screaming in my ear being like, if you don't talk in the next five seconds, the entire network's going to crash. And I was like, okay, there's, so there's some technical stuff that prevents, you know, just, Hey, can we stay on and break through the clock? Um, and you know, I think I asked once, I was like, is there any interview that any guest that you could think of that we could have on where I would be just allowed to break the clock, which means not go to the network out, the hard out that resets everyone around the country that's picking up your programming. And they were like, no, not really. Like we can't, I think it may have happened once with somebody or something like seriously. And I don't even know what it was. So look, the point is, is that doing a radio interview for seven or eight minutes you've got to be efficient. Like I used to have a thing with Van Pelt where I go, let's get to our third question first. You know, like let's not dick around with how's your golf game. 
and let the other shows do that. And then we used to always make jokes about when he would ask somebody about their golf game. And then he would kind of look at me and it was his way of fucking with me a little bit. And it was actually became kind of a funny little routine. That is different. Um, I can't, I can't map out things. Like I'll, I'll say this, that a lot of times when you hear me ask questions, you may hear me, I call it disarming the guest where I'll know it's something that I have to ask. It's probably the only reason I have the guy on. And I know that he probably doesn't want to give me what I what, what he wants to give me. So I will try to disarm in a bunch of different ways. I think the Texans, I'm trying to remember, was it the Texans that had the number one pick? We had J.J. Watt on when he still liked us. And he came on with Van Pelt and I. And all anybody had been asking him about was, I think, the number one pick. It was this It was this thing, basically, he'd been asked a million times. So if you know the guest has been asked about this thing a million times, but you know you have to ask him the million and first time because it's still the question you have to ask, you got to figure out a way to do it where you're not immediately getting him to shut down. Because any times, like, these guys are famous and they're rich and they're on the phone for eight minutes with guys they don't even know. Um, the Zoom thing has made things better. I mean, one of the weirdest things about the pandemic and Zoom is that it actually made, again, this isn't nearly as important as the rest of the awful stuff that happened with COVID, but it forever will change the podcast industry because now this, the norm is, hey, you're not going to be on your phone in the car for 30 minutes. You're going to be sitting down in front of a screen. I can read your facial language and, and all that kind of stuff. But I would try to find a way when it's that kind of question to disarm. And so what I did with J.J. Watt once was I was like, hey, I know everybody's asked you about this. What's the best way for me to ask you about this and get the best answer? And it actually kind of worked. And it wasn't really that clear. I was basically saying, ask, tell me the question to ask you, which, again, no professor would say, hey, that's a good way to do it. And, you know, I, I wasn't a huge fan of the, the Swatsky seminar because it was eight hours a day for three straight days. So it was 24 hours. And his style of interviewing was, look, I'm not telling this is the guy's life's work, but I'd be like for radio, this doesn't apply to us in radio. I don't, I can't waste time asking all these lead up questions to get to the meat of it. And then all these interviews that we're watching are edited, you know, 60 minutes it, sit down that's edited. So you can just sit there with the subject the entire time. Time is not a factor. And then you can put it in the order that you want it to depending on how he answers. Like these are com two completely different worlds. It's almost like they're both interviews, but it's, it's like one's in, you know, Chinese and the other's in sign language. Like it doesn't, it's not even close to being the same thing. And I tried to tell him that and he was like, you know, who's this idiot? So I was like, all right, fine. Um, so I, I do think when it's a difficult, when it's the same, when it's the same question, it's not if the guest is being difficult, but if it's the kind of thing where like, look, if you were this person and you're like, oh, cool, you're going to ask me about this again? It's like, yeah, I am going to ask you about this again. But try to find a way to ask it in a way where you're almost giving yourself a hard time to the guest, where you're almost trying to like get that person on your side. Like, hey, I know, you know, I know I'm doing this thing and whatever, whatever, and you're going to laugh. So you'll hear me try to do that with somebody, and it's kind of the way I set up getting a better answer. Um. So that'd be one part of it. And then, look, there's a bunch of other stuff. Like sometimes you do a warm-up question. Podcast allows you to do it. Radio, if you want to be good at radio interviews, the warm-up questions, you know, you're only going to get like five questions in with a guy in those radio interviews. And I used to just despise wasting them on anything other than let's just get to it. You know what I mean? Like, let's get to the interview. Let's just start it. Um, I'm trying to think. None of us, you know, you got to listen. Listen to answers. 
I constantly listen to answers or write down notes. And my questions, I could write down 20 questions for a guy and I may only use five of them because I get new questions based on the answers every time. I didn't always listen, um, especially in radio, because you're still worried about a million different things. So it's podcasting. I lock in more now than I did then. Um, there's a lot of times where I'd be arrogant about it and be like, ah, whatever, I know what to ask this guy. And then you get done with it and you go, you know what? You mailed it in on that one and you didn't do as good of a job. And it usually pissed me off enough to be like, hey, don't do that again. And then I'd probably do it again in six months or something like that. Um, because you can get really arrogant about interviewing and just be like, yeah, whatever, I'm really good at this. I'll figure it out. But the extra time to just go, you know what? Give me 15 minutes on this. Because there's always a time too where you'll see something. What I do try to refrain from is like the Wikipedia question, although it's funny if the person wants to play along and there's a ton of wrong shit about them on Wikipedia, but it also, you know, I worked with one guy that used to just, as soon as we get a guy on the phone, he'd be like, the Wikipedia page is up. And then out of nowhere, he'd be like, so you donated to a junior high team in Tennessee. What was that like? <laughs> You're just like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, if you want to prep, prep the interview before, don't prep it while we're doing it. So uh, the radio thing is very, very different because you're you're traffic hopping so many different things that it almost allows you to get a little bit more distracted than you do in the long form stuff. But I think it's very clear everybody everybody is down with the long form now. And if you're going to do the long form, mapping out a timeline is important. Um, listening to their answers and getting questions out of their answers is important. Um, the warm-up questions are a little bit easier to get by in podcasts, but figure out when it's that thing that you need. Think of the one soundbite, the breakout part of an interview that you're doing. How do I get to that moment? And I try to get to it as much as I can, and I don't always get it. You know, I'm guilty of trying to get stories out of people all the time, and sometimes I completely whiff on it, but I'm I'm not going to, because it's hard sometimes to be like, you know, I've done kind of sometimes, hey, tell me a story about this. If the guest isn't built that way to do it, the question's going to flop. But when it doesn't, it's a, you know, it's a home run. Um, and I, I can try a bunch of different ways. And if I don't know the guy personally, it's, it's a little harder to break through because you just so often be like, hey, tell me about this guy or tell me something that happened about with this guy that you say to your friends, you know, how do you describe this guy to your friends or what are the stories you tell your friends about playing with this person? And it doesn't always work, even though, you know, those stories are in there. So that's what I always try to get. Uh, I don't always get it. Um, so there you go. I don't know if that was helpful or not at all. I think Sarudi's probably like, yeah, dude, I've worked with you for 10 years. I already know all this stuff. I don't want to listen to it. Kyle, you probably have nothing on that one, correct? Surprise, surprise. Got nothing to say. Not even a comment. All right. There you go. All right. So maybe we'll do one of those longer form things on the business. Um, but I don't know. I mean, when I came up, it was very different than it is now. So I think there's just way more opportunity for everybody now, which is great. But it also means there's way more competition. So I don't know. I don't know what's better. All right. Uh, please subscribe to the Ryan Russell podcast. Thanks to Kyle and Steve as always. And uh, this is a fun one today. Enjoy the weekend. Bye.